Welcome to Season 2 of the Mental Illness Spotlight. My name is Alyssa Seifer, and I'm your host. This season on the Mental Illness Spotlight, we'll be looking at perspectives and experiences outside of traditional mental health, interviewing local activists and advocates, discussing radical mental health topics, and prioritizing the voices of people with lived experience as educators and experts. An important note before we start. The opinions expressed on this show are not professional advice and should not be used as a substitute for your own self-care, wellness, or treatment plan. Today, our guest is Shannon Williams. Shannon is a local activist and the founder of Self-Care Housekeeping, a mental health home care service. Welcome, Shannon. Hey. So, Shannon, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're passionate about. Um, I like long walks on the beach. Um, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm from Pittsburgh. Well, I'm from Baltimore, but I was raised in Pittsburgh. Been here since I was about two. Um, I went to Oliver High School when it was still Oliver High School. Went to University of Pittsburgh, studied social work, um, have my bachelor's in social work, and have done all things social work E. And now I own self care, and I'm out here crusading for mental health and safety and trauma healing and all of those good things. Tell us a little bit about how you originally got involved in mental health, disability, um, trauma, and healing communities? Hmm. So I got into mental health work. Well, I got into social work, which is mental health work, as far as I'm concerned, um, when I went to Pitt. And when I went to school originally, I was a chemist major. Mm -hmm. Um, Math and science has always been my thing. Um, Humanities, not so much. And I'm first generation. And Three years ago, well, about four years ago now, I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, which means I've always had bipolar disorder. Mm-hmm. I just didn't know it. And so when I started at Pitt, I used to have like wild anxiety attacks and didn't know that that was what was going on. Um, I had an adjustment issue uh, being first generation at a university. Mm-hmm. I didn't live on campus. So it was a lot going on. And my advisor, um, I went to her and I told her like, I, I'm not retaining any information. This is new to me. I don't know what's going on. And her advice to me was that I wasn't smart enough to be a chemist. Oh, and, my God. <laughs> and she told me I wasn't smart enough, so maybe I should do something like be a nurse or a social worker. And since I was 17, and this is the adult in my life that I should have looked to for advice, I dropped my major and I, you know, pursued social work. Well, actually, I bounced around in, uh, mm-hmm. in a few different humanities. I ended up in social work, um, which it ended up working out well. Um, I love what I do. I think there's purpose in in. The, all of that. Yeah. <laughs> Although I'm looking for my old advisor to uh, to reconcile some things. Yeah, so ended up in social school, social work. My first job out of college, like in my profession, I was a behavioral health counselor um, for a juvenile, a female juvenile detention center. And uh, yeah, it's been that since. And uh, as far as disability work, when I have a really good friend of mine uh, who does disability justice work um, and in the process of me becoming diagnosed uh, was a lot of exploring and experiencing that world and to like opening up my worldview of accessibility what that looks like what ableism is like you know how my brain and body fits in spaces how other people's brains and bodies fits in spaces um so yeah that's how all of those things came to be and how I got here mm-hmm. that's a really interesting story thank you so much for sharing that yeah. with everyone for sure um so going more into what you're doing in the Pittsburgh area and kind of the innovative things you're doing here so you've started this organization called self-care housekeeping mm-hmm. um tell everyone listening a little bit about this organization and what made you decide to start it 
in the Pittsburgh area. Word. So self-care housekeeping is a mental health home care service. And what that means is uh, I focus on how our physical space uh, impacts our mental and emotional spaces and how and vice versa, right? Like, so like, you know, I notice when my house isn't together that it, it means that I'm depressed and I'm, I'm not able to keep up with these things and I'm dealing with tri- uh, trauma, I'm in crisis and I physically cannot do it, which also like uh, makes the, uh, the trauma or the depression or whatever it is I'm dealing with, it just makes it worse when I can't see the floor under my feet, you know, it mm-hmm. makes it hard to eat well. Like I start eating junk food because I can't bring myself to make actual meals. Um, my bills get backed up. Even if I have the money, I'm not, I just can't bring myself to like pay, the, mm-hmm. <laughs> pay my bills and, yeah. and deal with paperwork. Things just go all over the place. Um, and so, and you know, I get disorganized and recognizing that those spaces consistently, when I am not okay mentally and emotionally, like that is how my space plays out. And then when my space plays out that way, um, it makes my mental health like so much more worse, right? Like, cause like mm-hmm. now everything is in crisis and everything is harassed. So, um... I came to realize that that was my, was a dynamic that I was dealing with uh, after having been diagnosed, right? Like, and so when I was diagnosed, I had to do a lot of uh, introspection and uh, self checking to realize like when I'm manic, when I'm depressed, when I'm just kind of in the middle, like, and what that means and what that looks like, so that I can manage my space better. Mm-hmm. And as I was going through that process, I encountered a really, really violent situation. Um, not physically violent, but violent in a very abstract way that we don't talk about as much as we should in a very social way. Um, I was targeted by several women, um, quote unquote, prominent young black professionals in Pittsburgh, um, by one that I thought was a friend of mine who is not, <laughs> who holds position. Um and these people uh, made it very unsafe for me to be in Pittsburgh, and I've been ostracized and still deal with it, you know. Um, I'm cut out of spaces, like I'm not valid validated in certain spaces. People who knew what was going on, saw what was going on, was aware of it, decided that they were not going to speak on my behalf, either that they were scared of these people or that they uh, they benefited from, you know, me being pushed out of, out of the way. Um, so that was very, very difficult, and this has been... A little over a year that I've been dealing with it. Mm. But, um, you know, like, it's very violent. It's a very violent, hard space to be in. Like, we're social beings. And so to be cut out of society in such a violent way, to be invalidated, to know that you're not safe. So if I said anything, oh, it's Shannon's crazy because that's how I was named, right? Like, that was how, you know, like, uh, they solidified me not being a part of society and in uh, invalidating me and making me seem incompetent was to call me crazy mm-hmm. and unstable. And so, um, to deal with those things, um, it really drove, like if I was depressed before, <laughs> like it drove my depression and made me paranoid. It made me uh, anxious all of the time. I mean, I still have a hard time being in like large groups with other people. Um, just because of the way that took place. Um, but it was in that experience I recognized that, again, like, I couldn't keep my space together, um, which made it worse, and it made it really, really difficult to just be, like, in and in a function. Um, and I knew I needed support, and I needed help. And I'm a social worker, so I know how to find some services, right? Like, um, uh, and so I looked for services that would help with, like, cleaning my house, right? Like, and keeping my stuff organized and, like, meal prepping for me and making sure my bills are paid and these parking tickets are paid so they don't boot my car again um, <laughs> all of those things and it just didn't exist um and so 
out of that, uh, self-care, housekeeping became a thing. So in a weird way, I kind of have to thank uh, this particular mayor um, for what she's done with no remorse and the people who are complicit in what she's done because they brought something that not only I, I need, um, but kind of find out many people need, you know, mm-hmm. so, um, that's, that's how I got into this business. Yeah. And I feel like, well, again, thank you for sharing that. Cause I know that was definitely very difficult for you. And this experience through this experience, you really identified a gap that wasn't being filled which is that gap of helping people that are going through any sort of trauma, mental illness, madness, helping them retain their dignity, Mm -hmm. move through this, heal. Mm -hmm. Because I know, like, we all have such a personal connection to our spaces, and there's often this idea that if you don't have your own shit together, basically, there's, like, a sort of uh, shame that comes Mm -hmm. with that. And I felt that. Like, when I was doing bad, I remember feeling... Like, I didn't want people to see my house in that state. Mm -hmm. And I didn't feel safe bringing people into my house to see that. Mm -hmm. Even, like, a housekeeping professional. Even, like, a lot of social workers. Mm Because I felt like, will they judge me? But the thing I love about your organization is, you know, you have this lived experience that you share with people. You have this thing. You've also been there. Mm -hmm. People relate to you. So you coming into your space, it's Mm non-judgmental. It's very healing and you're ready to help people. Mm -hmm. And I think that is something Pittsburgh really needs. Mm -hmm. And people I've talked to that are using your service are extremely happy with it. So, (laughs) and people keep asking me, like, I just connected with a new mom's group and they were like, give me the name of that organization. (laughs) We really need something like this. So Thank you for bringing this to Pittsburgh, I want to say. Thank you, thank you. It's, it's a really cool experience, and I can't I can't even express how how amazing, how dope it is to, like, start with a new client. And, you know, when you walk in, like, the stress levels, the anxiety is, like, palpable, you mm-hmm. know, because, you know, people don't know me, and, yeah, like, all of that fear does exist. Like, that fear of being judged, um, the guilt, the shame that's already there, kind of, like, amplifying when a new person, a stranger is entering your space. And so, you know, walking in, and walking in with the training that I already have, right? Like, I'm a social mm-hmm. worker by trade. I know how to handle this space. But also, I, I don't have judgment when I walk in because I already know what this is. Um, mm-hmm. It's what I deal with myself. Um, and as we move through, like, from the very first session, it goes from, like, being a very intense, intense and, and vulnerable space to like all of that like all of that stress and all of that tension just melting away throughout the process um and it's 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 so fulfilling and so rewarding to be able to help in in a way that you know typically that we don't have help right like we do not have support in those ways um so it's really really it's really dope to to be able to fill that gap for for other people the way that I I know what it what it means to to have that level of support Mm -hmm. and before we move on to our second topic I want to just um so if any of our listeners are interested in learning more about self-care housekeeping or booking a service, how can they do that? Um, you can uh, access our website, selfcarehousekeeping.com. Uh, we'll, our uh, mobile app will be live pray- prayerfully by the end of February, which you can book directly on there. You can contact me on Facebook, on our Facebook group, Self-Care Housekeeping, uh, via email at peacelives at selfcarehousekeeping.com. Um, or you can call me at 412-589-1377. Uh, call text uh, capable, ASL available upon request. Those have to be set up. Mm-hmm. And I'll put all that information in our show notes so everyone listening can check out that information there. So now moving on to our second topic, 
I know that your your activism in Pittsburgh often explores the intersections of race, mental health, trauma, disability, and I feel like this is an especially important intersection to explore because conversations in these spaces aren't prioritizing intersectionality right now, Mm -hmm. especially in Pittsburgh. So how are you working to bridge these knowledge gaps in Pittsburgh and challenge what people know about race, mental health, disability, trauma? And also, why is it so important to have these conversations right now? Uh, I'm going to try to make sure I get all of it. (laughs) It's a lot of questions at once. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I will start by saying like intersectionality is important because, you know, it's not it's not a catch-all just to be black, right, in Pittsburgh. It's not a catch-all to be disabled in Pittsburgh or, like, deal with mental illness or deal with whatever the thing is. Um, but because we think of it in those terms, or it's, like, at least, like, that's the way that systems deal with, like, differing popula- populations. Like, we tend to leave people out, and sometimes that's intentional. Um, so, like, you know, there's a, a thing that not only the city of Pittsburgh, but but institutions in place will do is that they'll bring in people of a particular demographic so like young black people who are not from a a particular place but they'll bring them in and um you know and use their bodies as uh justification for diversity in the city Mm -hmm. right like the city itself is not diverse like it's not um and that doesn't do anything um to to make it more diverse uh because just because a person is black in body does not mean that they identify with being black or black culture it doesn't mean that they understand like what blackness means like what whiteness and white oppression means it doesn't mean that you know they subscribe to that um and so like just putting a black body in place does not solve anything like just by being a black person right like a black identity but that's what we'll see and sometimes sometimes i, I do think it's genuinely like someone thinks that that's that's all you need to do um, in other instances, I know for a fact that it's, it's a cover-up and it's, it's curtains, right, um, to be able to continue to operate in this very oppressive way um, without it seeming that way. Um, so when we're talking about intersectionality, uh, just being Black does not mean that you understand poverty. Um, just being Black does not mean you understand, uh, understand um, differing sex identity, uh, gender identity. Doesn't mean that you understand mental health. Doesn't mean that you understand everything in between that, right? Like, so intersectionality means incorporating and including and um, giving space and access to all of these differing things in differing ways so that we do have actual representation and in ways that like, this is how you actually identify yourself. Not just like, I showed up with this body with with this genitalia and so like, give me stuff <laughs> because mm-hmm. this is how I showed up. Because you know, we do that quite often or someone shows up with, with rhetoric, right? Like they adopt the language um, and because they show up physically a certain way and they've adopted like the language of a certain community, um, oppress, uh, language for oppression for a community and we let them in uh, and then they turn out to be more harmful <laughs> or just as harmful as the systems that we're trying to, to fight against or they're part of the systems that we're trying to fight against. Um, so that's what I would say is important or why it's important to be intersectional. Um, how um, I am spreading like the knowledge base, the education, I think was mm-hmm. one of the questions. <laughs> trying to follow I don't know (laughs) um (laughs) is you know like I recognize I'm very much aware that uh, I would absolutely be an invisible person had it not been my access to education um if I did not go to school and if I didn't go to a school like Pitt right like to an institution to a university I would be just as invisible as my family members as my friends like I'm very much from Pittsburgh and I'm very much Northside, right? Like I'm very much so, but I also have access to these spaces that my friends and my families don't. Like I have a knowledge base that my friends and my families do not because like they're not seen, (laughs) you know, they're not seen by by 
institutions and systems and in these rooms like they're not given access and when I started out we didn't have access either we had to fight our ways into these rooms um and then fight to stay there it's different now um because it's cool to have the younger adults in the room right <laughs> like so like I mean however it is we're there uh, but how I spread knowledge base is that like I, ha- I have this information and I do spread it to my friend's family I like I create access I, I acknowledge people because it's, it's a lot to be acknowledged in who and what you are there's a uh, an example would be there's a DJ on, on the north side from the north side that I grew up with uh, Mike Brazil and uh Mike on his own would do like um back to school drive for the kids he did our alumni of a basketball game between Perry and Oliver Oliver since been closed so like that was a really big and important thing um and he does all of these big things uh the same things that you know people in in these professional spaces will get funding for will get awards for um you know and he's just a person in Pittsburgh that's just doing something and so I make sure that I speak his name (laughs) and speak what he does because otherwise he would not be acknowledged you know like it's important like acknowledgement is not only is it important that we're acknowledged for the work that we do it's protection it's safety and being seen and it's it's uh violence and, and invisibility so um you know, uh, uh, acknowledging people for who they are, what they do and where they are, no matter where, you know, if you're doing good work, like acknowledging that, but also creating, uh, um, streams of access. So I work with kids. We talk about all of the things. Um, we talk about what those, what are resources? Where are they? How do you access them? Um, creating spaces for adults to have this type of access for whatever it is, you know, working with partners who, to understand like financial management, not only for adults, but for kids too. Um, uh, media access, like for adults and kids too. Um, but working within, not within systems, um, I don't work in any systems anymore, um, but working within community to understand and have access to systems is important. And I think that like diminishes the way that we were, we are made invisible um you know and stay solid I don't know <laughs> was there another question no yeah you okay. got it oh, cool. thank you for that. <laughs> yeah I definitely I definitely see that in a lot of um I'm just focusing on Pittsburgh mental health spaces because you know that's where I'm living right now mm-hmm. I see there's a lot of people being made invisible a lot of erasure because mm-hmm. Pittsburgh mental health spaces are predominantly white mm-hmm. white led um a lot of times the inclusion of race as a topic is often, like, a tokenized thing, an mm-hmm. afterthought, kind of like you said, just dropping people in. Sprinkle it in. And that's not meaningful. That's right. not really equity or inclusion. And while there are a lot of people doing amazing work, there's not enough from a lot of the major mental health organizations on actually looking into intersectionality and mm-hmm. actually thinking about how do we meaningfully include people. Right. And, yeah, I like I feel like we really need to call more for this conversation, but it's not, you know. Right. I thank you for your work. I thank other people in the community for the work, but, you know, where's the work from these major organizations? I don't really see it. Right. Um, yeah, and that's, that's a Pittsburgh thing. It's a mental health thing. But, like, I tend to speak in systems because it's a systemic thing, right? It's yeah. an institutional issue. Um, so we see it in mental health. We see it in nonprofit. We see it in politics. You know, we see it everywhere a system is. Like, we see that, that same sort of oppressive dynamic, right? Um, 
um, and black, black and brown and marginalized and invisible bodies are used, <laughs> right? Like our narratives are used, our experiences are used, our, our trauma, our oppression is used, um, our work is used, uh, but we're not given access to like power sources and, and resources to actually do the work. You know, like we have these white and uh, white, white predominant organizations and systems that will go and find money and like have access and proximity to power, right? Like, and we'll garner that. Um, and they come to us and say, like, can you share your story to validate what we're doing? <laughs> and we'll do it because, we, you know, for the most part, we don't realize that we're being used and we're being exploited. Um, so one of the outside of self-care housekeeping, um, one of the uh, people who started the Coalition for Racial Justice in Media, um, because exploitation is a part of our narrative, right? Like, you know, uh, our voices, our bodies are used from um, like news networks, but also in um uh, multimedia, right? Like in art, in, in movies, and like when the news shows up with a camera and shoves it in your face, like so for, you know, it's always for the benefit of other people, but we're not benefiting from it, you know? Um, and so like, you know, so with the, the community, but also again, like I work with kids in that space to understand like what is exploitation? Um, like what does it mean for systems, for people, for um, body dynamics to show up take your story, use your body, like use your words, use your work, um, and then leave with it and leave you with nothing. You know, what does that mean? <laughs> um, and so to understand those spaces, but also like, what does agency look like? We don't have to be, we don't have to be subject to that, you know, like that sort of treatment is just, but it's a level of understanding that this is what's going on. This is absolutely what's going on. A lot of my work is, is helping community members, both adults, young adults, um, and marginalized people, like invisible people to understand like, this is what's going on, right? Like this is what exploitation looks like. This is how it happens. And also what does agency look like, right? Like how do we take that, take our space back? How do we take our experiences back? How do we take our work back? You know, cause people are being, are getting rich, right? Like are coming up. <laughs> off of our experiences and our bodies and then turn around telling us that they're broke no you're not we're broke <laughs> like and it's your fault um and so being able to identify that this is what this looks like and also this is what agency is like this is how you say no you know when these systems show up in your communities like this is what it means to monetize your own work and your own body and your own experiences right like but also like this is how you navigate these systems this is how you navigate resources uh you know because we're told and uh, Christian, uh, my boyfriend and I were talking about this earlier today that, um, you know, when you're a kid and you're going into college, right? And we're told that there's all these grants available, like, you know, in the, like, the story of, like, you can get a grant for being left-handed. Okay, cool. But how do you even access that space? <laughs> like, how do you find these grants? Like, you know, how do you find these things? All of these resources you say that are available. Um, it's nearly impossible to do it if you don't have, like, the, you know, the education and the support there to actually do it. Um, that on top of, you know, like, the, are these uh, nonprofit spaces, these uh, philanthropic spaces that will have, like, say, and it's completely, like, anecdotal. They'll say that, you know, we have a million dollars worth in grants. Uh, but 800,000 of that would be earmarked already for people that they know, you know, that they develop relationships with, that they see in spaces all the time. Like, so like, there's really not that amount of money that's available, you know? Um, so again, like that's a, a level of exploitation, right? Um, so like understanding these things is, is, is crucial, right? It's crucial for our, our communities to truly be sustainable, to su truly be safe, um, and seen and heard and valued and validated. Uh, so that's a part of the work that we do with the uh, coalition um, and growing off of that and not being dependent on systems that we're actively pushing against to, you know, at the same time.
hopefully that answered. No, yeah, you definitely answered. Thank you. So, for our listeners, where can they find more information about you as well as the coalition online? And do you have any future projects coming up you'd like to share? Yeah. So, um, me, I'm in these streets. Um, uh, my <laughs> personal page, honestly, I've, I've closed it off and I don't accept, um, I'm not accepting more friends as far as like Facebook and social media at the time. And honestly, that comes from the trauma of being targeted, being exploited. Um, I just don't want, I don't want that in my life anymore. Cause I, I honestly, I don't know who's who and I don't know what people want from me at this point. But as far as, you know, self-care, like you can find our Facebook page, self-care housekeeping, um, our Instagram page is self-care housekeeping as well. The uh, handle is self-care PGH, um, emails, Peace lives at selfcarehousekeeping.com. Um, the coalition is the Coalition for Racial Justice in Media. Also on Facebook, there's a Facebook page and a Facebook group. The group is where we engage more, but the page is used as well. Um, you can get, engage in that uh, that space and also like see like new like what we're doing with the kids. If you want your kids to be involved, if you want to be involved, if you want to volunteer, and also like the events that are coming up. So our next event is March 18th. And um, for anyone who's not aware that the Antoine Rose trial is March 19th. And so because that is a space and that's happening, um, we're definitely, we're absolutely uh, pouring into Antoine's family, his mother, Miss Michelle, um, his sister, Kyra, their grand, uh, grandmother, and everybody else to make sure that they are safe, that they are supported throughout that, that process. Um, but also, so our event this March 18th is to talk about what does that look like for like, what does media look like when it has to do with, like, you know, a legal situation like that? Like, so when it comes to police brutality, like, the same thing that is going on with, with Antoine Rose's trial happened in Janet Gamage's trial, which is the juror pool is going to be picked from outside of Allegheny County. And that is important because Allegheny County is aware, has all the access to the local media, right? Like, all of the live stream videos, that's all local. Like, the local newspaper, Pittsburgh Current, like, all of those things are local. But if you're not from here, the media that you, you receive and that you've consumed about everything that's taking place with, with Antoine, same with Johnny Gamish, is from, like, national networks and, and networks with large bases. And there was so much misinformation that was put out about Antoine. On the larger networks, there was all negative about Antoine. And so, like, that's going to have an impact on the trial. And we know this. So, like, our our event March 18th is going to be at a Peace of Mind in Wilkinsburg. Um, it's going to be from 6 to 8-ish <laughs> in discussing that. So, Dustin Gibson is going to co-facilitate and lead that conversation. Uh, we're going to explore that space and then, you know, discuss, like, how can we protect ourselves in this space? Like, what can we do moving forward? So, like, our events with the coalition are to build on top of each other. Um, to explore different types of uh, media, like different parts of media. And so that like with the ultimate goal of like, okay, what are we going to do moving forward with this knowledge? And so that'll be uh, the day before the trial to kind of ready our minds around what does media look like? You know, how is media being used against us? <laughs> and also how can we use media uh, to our advantage to make sure that the truth of the matter is being put out there and the difference between local media and um, national media and everything in between and how that will impact uh, uh, legal cases like the Antoine Rose trial. Um, so that's, that's that. That's the next thing I have coming up with a date that I'm willing to talk about right now. <laughs> awesome. Well, we'll definitely put that in the show notes as well. Um, and Dustin Gibson is another great local activist mm -hmm. in this space. So definitely if you're in the Pittsburgh area, go check that out. Mm -hmm. So thank you for coming on the podcast, Shannon. Thank you for having me. <laughs>